0: Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Just a quick update about uh, our other senior pastor, Darren Francis Bennell. He is healing well. And uh, he is struggling because he is forced to be at home. So can you pray for him? I know that we all had to do it during isolation, but this is his first time. So uh, um, let's, have, let's pray for him. He's, um, he's had a skin cancer cut off his nose. For those of you who don't know, they took a bit of skin out of his forehead, did a little bit of a nip and tuck and lift while they are at it. Just kidding. They did not. And, uh, and he is healing well. And um, we're believing for full recovery very quickly. So uh, just as um, we're coming into the final week of the book of Mark, can you believe it? Six weeks in the book of Mark, there's just six more days of daily readings and you would have... Pondered and contemplated the book of Mark every single day. That is just incredible. Uh, I wonder, um, it's going to be up on the website and up on the app for a while. So if you found that you couldn't keep up to date, don't worry, Uh, it's going to be a number of weeks before we start our next daily activity. And so you can catch up on that and you've got plenty of time to do that as well. As we look at this final portion of the book of Mark, we can't help but see uh, the betrayal in it. And so this morning, I want to ask you, have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed? Maybe it was in year five when your best friend came up, running up to you and said, look, I don't want to be best friends anymore. And you're like shocked. And why? And they said, well, we're heading into high school. I just want to be friends with everybody. I don't want a best friend. You're like, well, that, that, I, I get that. That's great reasoning. And only to find out that they had another best friend that they didn't break up with. And they continued that friendship all the way through high school. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe it's happened to all of us, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure, maybe maybe just a few of us. Um, but I don't know if it's somebody who didn't take proper care of your heart, who didn't take proper care of your money, who didn't take proper care of your trust, who maybe didn't take proper care of your body or your children or your reputation. Maybe it was surface level. Maybe it was a deep-seated hurt. But I think we've all been betrayed on some level in some way, no matter how old we are. And so this morning, I want us to look at this passage in terms of the betrayal, because we start this week's readings in chapter 14, verse 32. And from there, every single heading is betrayal. Firstly, it's Gethsemane, where Jesus is in the garden. And he says to his friends, my soul is distressed and overwhelmed to the point of death. And if you've heard me preach for five minutes, you've heard me talk about this fact that in fact, You know, his best friends were there with him. He asked them to stay awake and pray and they fell asleep. Even as he went and fell face down before his father on three occasions, woke them up once, woke them up twice and and then didn't bother. And and it's just this this picture of his closest people that he needed in his moment of anguish not being there for him. Uh, Then we get to verse 43 and the heading is Jesus is arrested. The previous passage finishes with, look, here comes my betrayer. And in walks Judas, and Jesus knew this, but I don't know how in the moment, yes, he was God, but in the moment, how he felt when Judas came and greeted him with a kiss, because he told everybody, the one who I kiss is the one who you need to take and to arrest. Now, dudes in our Western culture don't kiss that often in a platonic way, but then like, you know, this is beyond a handshake. This is the handshake and slap on the back kind of greeting that you reserve for the people really close to you. And Judas has gone in and kissed Jesus to betray him. He's used the mark of a true friend to betray Jesus. Then verse 53 head of the next section is Jesus before the Sanhedrin and and these are the people that represent Israel whether it's the lesser Sanhedrin of uh, 23 people or the greater Sanhedrin of 71 people there is a gathering of people who are accusing Jesus and trying to find enough grounds for him to go before Pilate to show that he is usurping the Roman government. And they ask him, are you the king? Are you the Messiah? And and he gives them enough and then some and and declares who he is in front of the high priest, showing his deference for the office of high priest rather than than any respect for the gathered assembly. He he tells them exactly who he is. and, And at that point, that's when the temple guards grab him and and spit on him and, and blindfold him. And they and the high priest and all the teachers, they begin to strike him with their fists and they say, prophesy, who which of us hit you? Mocking the fact that he had come and, and was believed to be a prophet. And they're mocking that very office of a prophet. The next section, the very next section is verse 66. And it says, Peter disowns Jesus. You see, Peter has declared that he will never leave. Jesus. And, and he has followed him all the way into the courtyard of the high priest. So he's separated just by a, a few metres from Jesus. And 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 a servant girl of the high priest says to him, well, weren't you with Jesus? And Peter says, oh, no, no way. I wasn't with Jesus. And he quickly makes his, he separates himself a little bit and heads out to the entryway of the courtyard. And she says, no, I'm sure you were. And he's like, hell no, it was not me. And, uh, And then some surrounding people say, Peter, you're a Galilean. Are you sure you're not with him? And he begins to call down curses. Now for us, cursing suggests that he was swearing. But for them, you cursed something or someone. And we know he wouldn't have cursed everyone there because he was scared. He's not going to curse himself. So really, it can be surmised that he would have been cursing Jesus. Calling down curses, on Jesus, and Jesus was close enough maybe to even hear him. The very next uh, section, chapter 15, verse 1, is Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate can see what's going on. He can see that this is a sham and a farce and And he says, well, you know, let me release one of these people to you. I can see that one is not usurping the Roman government. There's nothing about him that's usurping the Roman government. So who should I release, Jesus or Barabbas? And they all cried out, release Barabbas, release Barabbas, who was in fact a proven insurrectionist to the Roman government who had murdered someone in that insurrection. It was clear that Barabbas was the guilty party, but the crowd was stirred and fired up and said, release to us Barabbas. And Pilate managing the crowd because, as we've even seen in the last couple of weeks, the power of a crowd when it gets going. He had to manage the crowd even though he knew what was really going on. And so he releases Barabbas. And and then we've got the chief priests and the elders and the scribes like demanding that he be executed. So that's like Israel betraying Jesus. Now we've got like the Gentiles betraying Jesus. It's like everybody betraying Jesus head of the next section is says the soldiers mock Jesus, verse 16. And he's just been mocked by the temple guards and by the chief priests and everyone else as a prophet. Now they put that crown of thorns on his head and they put the robe around him and they pretend to bow down to him even as they're spitting on him and striking him and saying, hail king of the Jews and mocking the fact that he was a king. And and we know that they they whip him and they, with bits of bone and the leather thong and bits of, bits of stone and rock, and that in fact um, history tells us that many would even die before they had the chance to be crucified. So badly beaten they were, and they mock him and they scoff at him. Next section, chapter 15, verse 21, is the crucifixion of Jesus, and it says that even as he's there on the cross, that the passers-by hurled insults at him that the priests and the teachers of the law stood around and mocked and said, he saved others. This great prophet saved others. And now he can't even save himself. Look at him and mocked him and scoffed him. And and it says that even those who were crucified with him mocked him. And so he's just being betrayed and betrayed and betrayed. And then verse 33 of the same chapter goes on to tell us, his death, and 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 then from there in chapter 16 we just get nine short verses of it all being turned around at the resurrection. But betrayal after betrayal. I just listed eight betrayals, one after the other, consistent betrayal. And I want us to learn from this today, because there were three components of this betrayal: there was the crowd, there was the crime, and there was the cry. And so I've got a really great friend who's going to come and um, bring us the first point today. And, uh, And so Linnea Barlow is going to come and tell us a little bit about the crowd.
1: You're a legend. Good morning. Um, my name is Linnea, and again, I'm just going to take us through some three quick points that we can learn about the crowd. And listening to all these things that Jesus went through and how terrible he was treated, I think it's so important that we um, try and place ourselves in each of these different pos- positions of the crowd. We've got three different perspectives. We've got the betrayed who's Jesus, and then we have the betrayers who are the crowd, and then we have the onlookers who are you and I, 2,000 years later, who are listening and reading and learning about all of these horrible things done to Jesus. And you might be reading and thinking, I would never do such a thing like that to Jesus. Or you might think, how did he get through that? Or I hope I'm never going to be a friend like Jesus's friends who th- who fell asleep. But it's important that we ask ourselves these questions from the crowd. So when I was 13 years old, I um, found myself being bullied by like a really large group of popular boys and It came out of what felt like complete and utter thin air. I would start, uh, walk a specific way down the hallway at school and um, about 20 or so of these guys would strategically wait for me and they would just yell obscene things at me and this behavior to those who were around me was being exposed and I began to think that those listening I could only guess are going to start to think oh I think I should reject Linnea too she must have done something really wrong to make these 20 boys say something and these things to her and it started to kind of prove true when some of my best friends they began um, deciding that they wanted to spend less time with me because they were embarrassed to be with me and I remember a specific time where I was in a restaurant and it's this place called Davanis and they have like the best pizza and italian subs and pasta and um we walk in and about 20 so or so of these guys immediately stand up and they leave the restaurant because i walked in and it was such an overwhelming amount of emotions. And my new best friends, their names became utter confusion, guilt, shame, embarrassment, and just feeling anxiety for the first time. And I just felt so confused. Um, and the ripple effects, effects led me down a pathway of um, thinking that I'm wrong in every relational conflict that I have, that I need to stay independent because people are going to let me down inevitably and uh, they're not going to stand up for me. And, and also that I shouldn't tell people I've been bullied because they're probably going to think um, differently about me and reject me as well. But I too have been a betrayer. I've stood silent when my friends have really needed my voice, even talking about church or inviting um, inviting people to church, sharing about Jesus, maybe even just topics that aren't even um, controversial. I felt really nervous because I had seen other people attack um, people's beliefs for things. But my silence was me going along with the crowd. But I've also used my voice to tear others down with the crowd without even thinking about it. So we've all sat in at least two or three, or, or all three of these different perspectives. And maybe you two have experienced bullying or rejection. Maybe you've been a bully before. Maybe you've been somebody in a crowd that hasn't really known what this person has done and you've just gone along with it. Maybe you've been divorced and that, re- that relational pain has continued to seemingly follow you wherever you go. Maybe you've um, had a business or ministry partner or church betray you. Maybe your parents have really let you down and disappointed you. Maybe God has, you felt like God's betrayed you. Maybe you feel like you've betrayed God and it feels too you're too far off. But I know that God has something to say to encourage us this morning and something that we can learn. And the first thing is um, that Jesus became a man in order to set us free which is so awesome. And I just want to speak to those who have been betrayed in this point right now. In this scripture, we, Bron touched on it as the first betrayal in Mark 14, 34, I think is one of the most pivotal scriptures that really spoke to me as I was kind of getting this message together. We learn so much about God's heart and Jesus's heart through this scripture. And Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's got three of his besties hanging out together, and he is at his lowest point. And he says this he says my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death stay here and keep watch with me in the message version it says i feel bad enough right now to die if any of our friends said that to us we'd be calling the suicide hotline like this is the lowest of low that he is feeling and his friends immediately fell asleep and they didn't run to his aid at all But you know what Jesus opened up about how he was feeling regardless and he spoke to those who even down the line were gonna reject him because now 2,000 years later it's recorded for me and for you so that we know that God understands us he knew that they would reject him and he's God and yet for for our sake he allowed his emotions his low points and his vulnerabilities to help us see through this recorded book and I love that about God's heart for us And Braun will touch on that a little bit later through the part about the cry. Also, betrayal doesn't keep us from God's plan. I don't know about you, but walking through difficult seasons and to hear that Jesus went through so many horrible things, one after another, and the fact that he's about to fulfill God's purpose and all these bad things keep happening. And I would not uh, know what to do in that moment, but betrayal doesn't keep us from God's plan. Number two, you were not created for man's approval. We read in Luke 626 in the NLT. It says, what sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. And in the message, it reads like this. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them and doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. Your task is to be true, not popular. Trouble and sorrow are to be expected if you are living for the approval of others. Standing up for what's true is what pleases God and often isn't popular. Jesus, we, we hear about him and he's pretty much in a courtroom, right? And all these different people are communicating things that um, he has done wrong. And the scripture is in Mark 14, verse 60. It says, then the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, well, aren't you gonna answer to these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and he made no reply. Even Jesus, who is never wrong, chose when to speak and how to do it, period. And the third thing, what the crowd does for evil, God does for good. In Matthew 5:11, we read this: God blesses you when people mock, when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you, and you say all sorts of things, all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. So this scripture above is talking about God backing you when it's for His glory, and it's for His kingdom and His son, not our own agenda. So I want to clarify: people shouldn't be rejecting you because you're mean. People should never wonder how you're possibly a follower of Jesus if you're saying awful things, if you're complaining or whining about something, and that's not suffering for Jesus. It's a signal that you might need to change. But being a follower of Jesus means you will face rejection at some point and it's completely inevitable. God is countercultural. You are blessed when the crowd is against you, and just because a large crowd says something, it doesn't mean it's right or it's true. So be encouraged, because God used Jesus's betrayal for a greater purpose. God's, God used the crowd for our good and for His glory. So we'll leave with a question: Who is it that you're representing? Is it the crowd or is it the truth? Now let's look at the betrayal and the crime with Pastor Brown.
0: Thank you, Linnea. And uh, I just want to say, Linnea, that, um, yeah, I just, I really believe in you. So (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go to the crime right now. So we've talked about the crowd. I want to talk about the crime. and, And I kind of outlined the crimes that were committed against Jesus and what he was accused of earlier. And I think sometimes we get so familiar with this. I remember, you know, in Sunday school even, learning all about as we would take communion together as kids, learning about the cross and, and being so familiar with that story. Uh, this morning as I was, I actually texted Candy and said, would you pray for me? I was actually bawling my eyes out as I was preparing um, the, the all the list of betrayal because Jesus has done so much for me. He has rescued me. He has saved me. He, he not only did then and, and, and took care of my past and all my shame and all my guilt, but he has continued to across my Christian walk. At times where where it should I should have been a write-off and I should have lost everything, Jesus has come in and rescued and said to me that nothing will be lost as a result of your stupidity. He has even covered and his grace has come in then. And as I was outlining the betrayals, I was just going, my Jesus, you, are like, all listing them out like that—it's too much. It's too much. And and I, I pray—I said Candy a text and said, "Can you just pray that I don't lose it this morning?" And, and praise God, He came through. Because I don't know how you would have all coped with my emotion. But I, I want to tell you something that happened to Jesus that that kind of isn't outlined here, and and or or that is speculated that maybe happened to Jesus. I heard it in passing a number of weeks ago and I really didn't know uh, what was happening. And and so I Googled the thought of it. Romans were amazing. The Roman Empire, as cruel and as abhorrent as it was, in terms of infrastructure and in terms of innovation, they were incredible. There are things standing today that were um, established during the Roman Empire, even after, for example, in England, where the Vikings have invaded and, and, and different wars and everything else and bombings even by uh, in World War II, everything, and yet what the Romans have constructed, sewage systems, plumbing, bathhouses, all that kind of thing, are still standing. So they had this incredible innovation. I'm going to tell you about one that we don't talk about much, which is called the Tessorium. The Tessorium. they actually had public toilets even back then, the Romans built public toilets. They were just like this big, long box which with a wastage underneath it. And uh, even better than a pit toilet, like had a drainage system and everything with holes cut in the top that look remarkably like our Western toilets. And beside them, they had a, a sponge on the end of a stick that they would keep in a, a bit of vinegar. And what would happen was if they'd done, I'm really sorry if you're, you don't like people talking about this, I'm just these are facts, pretend you're in hospital and I'm a nurse right now and I need to explain some things to you, that um, if they did a number two, then they would grab this stick with the sponge on it and clean themselves and put it back in the vinegar to sanitise for the next person. Now I want to read you uh, a part of the account um, <clears throat> of the crime in, uh, I think it's in Mark, I haven't got it on my phone unfortunately, so I'm just going to, I'll just outline it to you instead. Jesus is there on the cross, actually it's up the top here, sorry. I lost my Bible in Brisbane everybody, please pray that it's returned to me. Um, Mark chapter 14 and verse um, something or rather, I cannot find it. And so we are, um, there it is. Okay, at noon, verse 33. At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on a reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Now the Roman government, the Roman officials, the Roman centurions were not interested in meeting the needs of the people hanging on the cross. Crucifixions were the most abhorrent ways to die that you can think of. They had come up with suffering um, the best that they could. They wanted to make that person suffer so much that they would quell any insurrection in the present and stop any future um, betrayal or insurrection or a rebellion or uprising in the future. They wanted to make it such a display of excruciating pain. So when someone cried out for a drink, they did not just go around giving drinks. And it has been speculated. And if you Google a tesorium, you'll see this sponge on a reed stick, perhaps soaked in vinegar for sanitation for the next person. That might be what someone held up to Jesus. Jesus is not only suffering, he is enduring the worst of what humanity can do to each other, that someone dying on the cross would be offered that stick for a drink. It is absolutely disgusting. And we know from other gospel accounts that what he said as he hung on the cross was, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And so in the crime, as it relates to the crime, what will we say In Luke chapter 6, verse 27 to 28, it says, But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. And again from the message, just to give it to us in a new and fresh way, it says, To those who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies, let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. Respond with the energies of prayer. You see, your cri- the, the, the crime of betrayal that's been committed against you is taking up energy in you some way or another. Whether you're awake at night, whether you're trying to figure out the logical progression that got to this point and you can't wrap your head around it, or whether it's suffering with hate or grief or whatever emotion it is, you are giving energy to it. There is energy being expended. And Jesus says here, switch it out. For the energies of prayer for that person, and he showed us what that looked like when he was on the cross and said, "Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing." In the last little while, I've had someone that I've never met say a whole lot of stuff about me, and uh, and 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 I what can tend to happen is that my heart can fail around it or my temperature can rise around it or my mind and my spirit can begin to get low around it. And whenever I feel any of those three things happening, which are the typical reactions that I get whenever it comes to mind. I begin to pray for this person who has never laid eyes on me and that I've never laid eyes on, that I've never met. I begin to pray for that person. My energy is being expended, whether it's becoming low or rising in temperature. And I respond by praying two things. God, would you defend me? And number two, Lord, help that person. Help their heart. Help their small-worldedness that they would see to attack someone that they've never even met or had a conversation with. Lord, help them. Bless them. Let them see your goodness and your grace and your glory. And you might say, oh, Brian, you're so holy. False. (laughs) Not true at all. It's just that I I need to cope somehow. And the energy that I'm feeling is all negative, so I've got to switch it out for the energy of prayer. And I encourage you to do the same, to respond with the energy of prayer. Redirect your energy. Finally, the cry. cry as Jesus was on the cross he cried out and said my God my God why have you forsaken me and then in verse 37 it says he with one loud last cry he breathed his final breath but then there was another cry at the foot of the cross and it was that of the Roman centurion who cried out and said surely this man was the son of God And this was the first time in the whole book of Mark of a public declaration by someone other than Jesus or the father of his divinity that was allowed to be said. You might say, well, Bron, what about Peter and the Messiah? He said, you are the Messiah. Well, the Messiah to Peter was an earthly king come to establish the Jewish empire. That was not a statement of divinity for Peter. Here is the statement of divinity. Surely this man is the son of God by a Roman officer. You'll even remember that way back at the start that the the, the demons would cry out who Jesus was, but he would silence them and not allow them to speak. If that was us in our ministry, we'd be, all right, everybody, everybody, everybody. The demons have something to say. (laughs) Would everybody please listen to the demons that got something they need to say about me? But Jesus would silence them. Why would he do that? He didn't want the proclamation about who he was to be a demonic one. He wanted it to be at the point of his greatest glory, which was the point where he laid down his life and a Roman officer said, surely this man was the son of God. We'd be like, demon, speak louder. What do you wondering? That's holy. one of God. I don't have much experience with demons. I'm, I'm not sure how they talk, but, but at his moment of greatest glory, that's when the Roman officer said, surely this man was the son of God. And I need to tell you today, that whatever cry you're having from your betrayal, you don't know the cry that comes from your cry. The cry of the Roman officer was one of revelation of who God was because of Jesus' cry. And there's a cry that comes out of your betrayal that can result in a cry of revelation for somebody else. There's a cry because of the hurt of the betrayal that you felt that comes in a cry of freedom for somebody else. You know the cry of your betrayal is not wasted. It's not wasted and it holds power for somebody else. I think about Paul and he talks in 2 Corinthians about his hardships. And, and it's funny, he says, if I must boast, I'm going to boast in my weakness. And he goes on and, and he says, look, like I could tell you about the time that I was caught up into the third heaven and I had all these miraculous revelations and I could tell you about the things that happened through me. But you and I even know when we know someone and all they talk about is the amazing things that they've accomplished we feel like we can't relate to that person anymore. So Paul is writing and he says, if I'm going to boast, I'll boast in my weakness. And he writes to this church and and he says, oh, I'm just going to be a fool here and I'm just going to tell you. I've, you know, I could tell you about all the wonderful things that have happened, the miraculous manifestations that I've seen and everything that's gone on. That would encourage you and it'd be great. I'd have the right to because it's true. But if I'm going to tell you about anything, I'll tell you about, the fact that I still really struggle and I struggle so much that there's this thing that bothers me that I beg God on three different occasions. I don't know if you've ever been to the place where you've begged God for, to take a struggle from you. He begged God on three different occasions and said, Father, will you take this from me? I don't want it. And he says, the Lord said, each time my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, in the hardships and the persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. But when I am weak, then I am strong. And I'm so grateful for Paul's cry 2,000 years ago, which has led to me being able to have a cry now of, Oh God! Even in the midst of my weakness, you're okay. You've got grace enough for it. You're not going to cast me aside. You're not going to throw me out. You're not going to say enough's enough. You're going to say, my brawn, my brawn, my grace is sufficient for you. And I say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Daz and I were listening to a podcast with John Ortberg where he was saying that people in AA are better at confession than people in the church. Because when they introduce themselves to each other, they start by confessing a weakness that they have. When was the last time you went to church and someone said, how was your week? And you said, well, it was okay. Apart from my struggle with porn, it's tearing my life apart and I don't know how to get free of it. When was the last time you went to church and someone said, how was your week? And you said, I was so insecure this week. I don't know why. I don't know why it happened but I, I just kept everything to myself I didn't empower my co-workers because I'm worried that people are going to see them as more valuable than I am and so I really wrestled with insecurity this week when was the last time you went to church and someone said how was your week and you said ah oh, man I just I boasted all week I just I struggled with pride this week I just had to let everybody know how great I am I'm, I'm really struggling I'm really when was the last time you went to church? That's all. I'm just genuinely wondering. We've never been for ages. <laughs> Paul wrote to a church and told them about his weakness. He didn't get specific and you don't always need to get specific with the details. That's for the right environment and the right people. But he told them about his struggle so that he could get it off his chest and feel better about himself. Oh, I'm glad that's off. Now you guys have it. You can take it. Whew. No, he's writing to a sinful church. You read the book of Corinthians, my goodness, they are struggling. But he writes, the purpose is to give them freedom. The purpose is to reveal his cry so that their cry might be one of freedom. So they might say, well, if Paul has struggles and he can do it, then I've got struggles and I can do it too. And the betrayal that we have has a cry attached to it that will set other people free in their cry, in their cry. So what's the cry from your betrayal and what is it accomplishing? And finally, this morning, just one more thing, one more tiny thing. The cry, it says, with the loud cry, he breathed his last. Well, we know from John chapter 19, verse 30, that that cry was, It is finished. It is finished. That was the cry in John chapter 19, verse 30. That was the cry in Mark, with a loud cry, he breathed his last. It is finished. And that cry is what sets up every cry of salvation from that day to this. That's the cry that's dealt with my past, with my guilt, with my sin, with my shame. It is finished. That's the cry that enables me to walk out this Christian life with power and with joy and with the ability to know that everything is dealt with. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe this morning you're watching and you're thinking, well, I've done too much. I've said too much. I'm going through too much. His cry, it is finished, enables your cry of freedom this morning your cry of freedom. And maybe you're going through the betrayal right now. Maybe you're still feeling it. Maybe you're in the throes of it. You're in the throes of the ugly cry or you're in the throes of of it just coming to mind every now and then. or, Or you're in the throes of it, just the enemy just whispers it to you in the night and it keeps you awake. Whatever it is in terms of your betrayal, your cry is also, it is finished. Because Jesus is able to deal with it. Jesus has dealt with it. Jesus has taken everything upon Himself and you don't need to carry it anymore. It is finished. It is finished. That's your new mantra. When it pops into your mind, when you're in the car by yourself and you're having the ugly cry and the racking sobs, you can cry out, no, it is finished. When you're in the shower, when you're you're lying awake at night reminding yourself, no, it is finished. If we were meeting on location, I'd have the band come up and I'd make them go really loud. And and I'd start saying, let's yell together, it is finished. But I know that you Australian rural conservatives wouldn't have even done it before COVID, let alone now. But maybe you'll do it by yourself. Maybe you'll do it in the car when that that cry of betrayal threatens to take over you and you will be able to cry out, it is finished. It is finished. I hope that you will. I hope that you'll take that on as your mantra. Another thing that's finished is our needing to be separated from God by our choices. That is finished also if we will simply acknowledge to Him that we need Him, that we've gone our own way, and that now we want to repent and make Him the Lord of our lives. That means that our old life of separation from God is also finished. So this morning, I'm going to pray a prayer before we continue the conversation. And I pray that you would grab a hold of this. I'd ask every person who's ever prayed this prayer and who believes in Jesus and is following him to be praying because you know what a holy moment this is. And if you are someone who's like, yep, I want it to be finished in my life, will you pray this prayer? Will you say amen at the end of it, which simply means I agree. Lord Jesus. Thank you for the betrayal that you went through. Thank you for entering into the midst of our suffering and taking it upon yourself. Thank you for absorbing all the death that we were flinging around at each other. Thank you that you made another way possible. Thank you for taking our place. We love you, Jesus. Jesus, would you come into my heart? I wanna give direction of my life to you i want to actually give ownership of my life to you i don't want to be the owner of my life i just want to be following after you for the rest of my days i want to be a follower of jesus i give my life over to you now take care of my past take care of my future take care of my present lord jesus i confess you as the lord of my life in jesus name amen hey again thanks so much for joining us on this podcast Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.